The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. Breast cancer treatments often involve a combination of radiation, surgery, chemotherapy, hormone therapy or targeted therapy. And a usual course of radiotherapy for breast cancer can entail a number of visits over a number of weeks. But what if I was to say for suitable cases, one targeted dose of radiotherapy can now be delivered directly into the breast at the time of a person undergoing breast cancer surgery? Well, today on MediTalk, we speak with Professor Saunders, a breast cancer surgeon from St John of God Hospital in Subiaco, about intraoperative radiotherapy. What is intraoperative radiotherapy? Well, intraoperative radiotherapy is a way of delivering radiation therapy, which is a kind of anti-cancer treatment, at the time of actually having an operation. So normally when a patient has a cancer removed from a number of sites in the body, um, they may well need some radiotherapy afterwards to consolidate that cancer treatment. And that's usually given in a way that we call external beam radiotherapy. So they lie under a machine in a radiation oncology department for a, a number of minutes each day, usually over the course of many weeks, and have that radiotherapy or that X-ray treatment delivered to the outside. But this is a way of giving the treatment actually during surgery after you've removed the tumour to the bed of the tumour. And how long has this treatment been available globally and in Australia? So we first started actually looking at intraoperative radiotherapy, in fact, over 20 years ago now. I was involved in the very first look at that when I was a consultant surgeon in London. And um, shortly after that, so nearly 20 years ago, we started a an international clinical trial examining this particular kind of intraoperative radiotherapy in breast cancer. And we've now published results. And that means that we've now got many, many years of follow-up of patients who've had this kind of treatment, because in fact, the clinical trial had over three and a half thousand women in it. Wow. And it seems like I don't think people realise when a new form of treatment becomes available that so much work happens before it becomes available. That's right. That's that's absolutely right. So we, we have had a, a number of machines around Australia for a few years now. And in fact, around the world, I think there's something like 80 or 90 centres that have this treatment available around the world. And then who is able to perform this procedure? So the procedure is performed by a combination of the surgeons and the radiation oncologists, along with all the support staff who are the physicists who run the machines and deliver the dose. So actually in the operating theatre, the surgeon is there removing removing the uh, the tumour along with the rest of the theatre team, the anaesthetist and the nurses. And then the radiation oncologists, who are other kinds of cancer doctors, come into the operating theatre to help deliver the dose of radiotherapy. So it's a real team around you, even though you will not see it. There's no. a whole team around you to be able to perform this That's procedure. right. The patient's actually asleep during this, so they're asleep on the operating table, so they don't even know what's going on. But yeah. a, there is a big team, yes. So what's a typical patient journey before this happens? So we're at the moment using this for patients with early breast cancer. So a, a lady will present with either a lump in her breast or she'll come through the breast, a breast screening program having a, a cancer found. Uh, we then obviously discuss with the patient what the best forms of treatment are, depending on both the patient herself and her preferences, but also the type of tumour that she has and a number of tests that are performed beforehand. Um, once we decide that she's going to and eligible to have a lumpectomy as opposed to a mastectomy, 
hysterectomy. We can talk about whether she's eligible for this treatment. Usually within a few weeks, we'll arrange for her to come into hospital. Um, and during her hospital stay, she, she may need to have procedures done before she comes to the operating theatre, then comes to the operating theatre and has the lump removed, usually with a lymph node as well from under the arm. And then, as I say, in the same theatre session, we can deliver the radiotherapy. So how does it compare to the traditional way that radiotherapy is given? So that's a, a very good uh, question. There, there are both w different ways that it's given, but there are also important to look at the outcomes from it mm. and um, how it's actually given. It, it's a different kind of x-rays. Now, I'm, I'm not a physicist and mm. I don't think most of our listeners to this will be physicists, so you probably don't want to know the ins and outs of the different kind of x-rays, but it's a kind of soft x-rays that are given. So the, the kind of x-rays that are delivered with this machine, the dose of radiation falls off very quickly, which means it's very concentrated to where the tumour sits in the breast and doesn't affect other organs in the body. And that's important because when we look at the long-term outcomes of the studies that we've done of intraoperative radiotherapy, we've shown that in terms of controlling cancer not coming back, it's equal to the external beam or conventional radiotherapy, but it actually seems to have less side effects, which is a good thing. Absolutely. And then I can imagine... I've seen, you know, some of the coverage on the media and if I was someone that had been newly diagnosed with breast cancer, I'd be really interested in having this form of therapy. But who is able to have it? Well, we, we, we're very careful when we introduce new treatments and we, we're cautious about um, ensuring that we, we do no harm first, clearly, and we offer the best treatment to the patient. So we are being very cautious in ensuring that the patients who are offered this are patients with very small tumours. So by very small, I mean less than two or three centimetres in size, tumours that haven't spread to the lymph glands, tumours that are not very rapidly growing tumours and that are confined to one area of the breast and also for women who are somewhat older so women from their late 50s 60 onwards because younger women we know often have more aggressive cancers or cancers that may come back over time um, so we really want to try to limit this to women who will get the most benefit and 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 not have any future problems so you talk about outcomes and that there've been some studies done what what has what's the effectiveness of this form of treatment well, as I said, we did a large study with over three and a half thousand women around the world from many centres put into the study. And we're just publishing, we've published a number of many, many papers from this. We're just publishing the latest outcomes from a 12-year follow-up now of those women. And what we've shown is that it's equivalent in terms of recurrence and so controlling cancer coming back in the future. Patients with these early breast cancers, fortunately, will fairly rarely get local recurrence, only around 2% of the time out at 10 years or more. And we know that this is no worse than external beam or conventional radiotherapy. But we've also done a lot of studies of things like side effects. And as I say, the side effects profile seems to be very good from this. Um, patients prefer it. We've done patient preference studies, mm -hmm. and clearly patients often prefer it. And one really intriguing finding that I can't fully explain at the moment but is seems to be a fact is that patients having this kind of radiotherapy actually have better long-term survival. Mm, that's amazing. So are there studies that are eventually going to show that? Or? Yes. I mean, we're, there may be a number of reasons for that. It, it may be that... Um, 
giving it immediately at the same time as surgery avoids the sort of gap of time and it also geographically is exactly where the tumour is. You know, mm. you're not trying to guesstimate from the outside of the breast where the tumour may be. So it may be a more effective therapy in itself. Um, but there may be other reasons. It may be that causing less side effects to structures such as lung and heart mean that, you know, those are more protected. And we know radiotherapy has long-term effects on organs such as the heart. And there is a slight increased risk of, for example, heart disease or lung cancer in smokers having radiotherapy. And if there's less of that, then that's going to be protective. But there's also some intriguing biological hypotheses that we're investigating that, you know, perhaps this kind of radiotherapy in some ways vaccinates the body against tumours coming back. I, that at the yeah. moment is speculation, but, you know, it's fascinating scientifically. And it just makes you realise that even though there's been... It's been around for 20 years and there's been a lot of research. It's never-ending, isn't it? No. Yeah, it, that's, yeah, well, that's why medicine is fascinating and to research. And that's why you're passionate about your research. research yes. Yeah. And how else do you see it benefiting patients? Well, yeah, I mean, the patient preference studies that we've done have clearly shown that, that people, if they can have this treatment, often prefer to have it. And and for women who live a long way away, um, and we know Western Australia is very big and travel at the moment is quite difficult from mm. some parts of the state, um, you know, this makes complete sense that rather than coming back for three to six weeks of daily treatment inevitably in Perth, um, we, we have radiation now in Bunbury, but that's the only place outside Perth we do, um, you know, it's very difficult. Mm. So for women who live a long way away or who have jobs that um, keep them tied up, it's going to be simple. But I had a patient um, last week who I saw after we'd done interoperative radiotherapy a couple of weeks ago. And she said, you know, this is unbelievable. I came to hospital. I went to sleep for an hour. I woke up and I've had all of my cancer treatment. I just yeah. need to take some tablets now. Yeah. She said that must have been the easiest breast cancer <laughs> that yeah. anybody could have. And, you know, the convenience for patients is immense. And and having coming up for daily radiotherapy, although it, it doesn't usually cause any terrible side effects like chemotherapy mm. pe people think of, it is no doubt tiring. Uh, and, you know, it is a drain on, on the patient's um, immune system and fatigue and, and, you know, having to come to have daily treatment can be very difficult for some people. And do you think psychologically as well it's, it's of help? It may be. I, I'm, I'm not sure about that yet. I can't say that we have scientific proof around that yet, mm. but um, it certainly is a great convenience for patients. Yeah. And of course, for the system as a whole, I mean, radiotherapy for breast cancer is about 25% of the workload of a radiation oncology department. And they're pretty under the pump, many of them, mm. you know, with quite long waiting lists. So if we can remove some patients from the wait lists for normal conventional radiotherapy, that leaves more space for other people and uh, people with other kinds of cancers who are waiting to have their radiotherapy. So for the system as well, I think it's it's a, a great bonus. Yeah. And then what are the risks involved? Because I know we've talked a lot about a lot of benefits, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, are there some side effects? I mean, we talked about that it's, there's a reduction in side effects, which is wonderful, mm -hmm. but are there some risks that we should know about? Well, I think that's, that's another very important question. When we started doing this, we did see an increase increase in infection rates. And I think now we've largely avoided that by 
ensuring that we give antibiotics at the time of surgery and that's probably because it's a slightly longer procedure and the wound is open for an extra half an hour or so in the operating theatre. Um, we're very careful with protecting the skin and again in the very early days, you know, 15 years ago we saw some skin burns which you can get from external beam radiotherapy as well. So now we very carefully move the skin away from the radiation source to protect the skin. We were very worried in the beginning that patients would have very hard breasts and, and what we call fibrosis. That hasn't seemed to be a problem but I guess for some patients that may occur. And any patient who's had breast cancer has to understand that she can have a recurrence either within the breast or elsewhere in her body. So it's really important that these patients do consider taking um, endocrine therapy because we're, we're restricting this at the moment to patients who have uh, tumours that are sensitive to female hormones, oestrogen. And so it is really important that patients have the therapy as prescribed to them. And, and we've seen in in the studies that we've done that most recurrences occur when women don't take the rest of their treatments. So that's important, I think. The other really important thing to remember is that this isn't a one-size-fits-all treatment. So we're doing it at the time of operation, which means we don't have the full pathology on the tumour. It hasn't gone out and gone to the pathologist for assessment. And what that means is that for a small proportion of patients, and in our big trial, we 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 predicted it would be around 12 to 15%, and it was indeed around 12 to 15% of patients. When the pathology report comes back a week later, the, the tumour wasn't quite as nice as we thought. There were some issues with it. And for, for the, therefore, for those patients, we then say, right, you've had this one-off radiotherapy. We're now going to give you some more external beam radiotherapy. And that one-off dose acts like the normal week-long boost to the tumour bed that's given. So you're still having a bit of a shortened course, mm. but you do need some extra treatment. So that's important to remember. This isn't a one-size-fits-all. It is really a, a, a customised treatment. So you may need to have some you, additional radiotherapy. Yeah, and between 12 and 15% of women may need additional radiotherapy. But that's that's what we know right up front, and that's fine. Yes, and uh, sometimes you only know that um, after the pathology comes back. You only will know that after the pathology because yeah. we're really um, only putting uh, ladies up for this treatment if we think beforehand that their tumours look suitable. If they've already got a very big tumour or one that's spread, you know, in different areas in the breast or into their lymph nodes, then this is not suitable treatment for them. Mm. And there's also a kind of tumour called a lobular cancer that we're excluding from this because we know those cancers can often be a bit more widespread than we think at first. Okay. And then what do you see the future for this form of treatment? Do you see it evolving? So, yeah, it's interesting. In fact, the intraoperative radiotherapy wasn't first developed for breast cancer at all. It was first developed for brain cancers. Um, and in some parts of the world is used a bit for that. And there are certainly other... Um, cancer types that it may be useful for, for example, recurrent disease in the pelvis from colorectal cancer. Um, so there may well be some other cancers that this can be useful for. And at the moment, as I say, we're kind of restricting it to a very narrow group of women. But there are ongoing studies around the world in other groups of women to see who it may be useful for. For example, women with, with pre-invasive cancer, DCIS, who at the moment would need external beam radiotherapy. So we'll wait for the results of those. We'll go slowly and cautiously. And as we see the benefits spread, then we'll be able to spread this treatment to others. And I think it's important for us to know that it a treatment like this can't be used for other forms of cancer until this research is done Correct. and it's known to be safe. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Okay. What should a patient do if they're interested in it? 
So if they're interested in interoperative radiotherapy, I, I guess the first thing is to um, to inquire with their surgeon if their tumour is suitable. Uh, we then always refer a patient to a radiation oncologist before their surgery to have a discussion with the radiation oncologist as well to see if the tumour is suitable. And we actually have a little, what we call a multidisciplinary meeting where we discuss mm. it between ourselves. So if a patient is, is uh, interested in this, um, then it's on offer at St. John of God in Subiaco. A number of our surgeons there are, are credentialed for using the device and delivering it as are the radiation oncologists through Genesis Care. Um, there's also been some great arrangements with HBF and the hospital to be able to avoid the costs of radiation. Um, so that's another advantage, I think, mm. for patients for it. Um, remember, there is also a machine at Sir Charles Gardner Hospital, so public patients could access it through Sir Charles Gardner Hospital if they wish to. So it's having that discussion with your oncologist. Yeah, with, oh. your, with your surgeon and with your, your surgeon. radiation oncologist. Okay. Yeah. And so just to finish, what are some key messages that we should really remember when we're, when we're thinking about this form of treatment? So it's been well researched. It's very safe, um, but it is for a selected group of women. And so there may unfortunately be a few disappointed people out there who would like to have it but aren't suitable. And I think the other important thing is to remember that it is, as I say, a customised treatment, not a one-size-fits-all. And so a few patients may need other radiation treatment. And of course, most women will also need some drug treatments, which will, in this case, hopefully just be some tablets. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you to Professor Saunders for sharing her time and knowledge with us today on Talk. And to learn more about Professor Saunders, visit sjog.org.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share, as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.